Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, we'll be jumping around a little bit, but we'll camp out most of our time today in John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. John chapter 4 in your Bible. Um, as we do that today, what we're talking about is what is worship. Uh, as we're closing out this first quarter here in March with our focus on we're part of a bigger relationship, we've really been walking through just some of the different ways that we can draw near to God and, and develop and um, grow more intimate with Him in that relationship He's provided for us. And, and one of those ways, in fact, uh, one of the most powerful ways in my opinion, is worship. And so we're going to be talking about what worship is. We'll talk about a little about what it isn't. Um, we're, we're not going to go into the details too much of how to worship, um, but but we'll we'll pull on that a little bit as we rub this uh, pull this string out from it. Um, I was thinking about it this week how how I could describe what I think worship is like, and in my head, worship is like a river. Um, when, I, when I think about it, a, a river is always going to run in, in the direction of, of, of south, where we are. But it's always going to run in one direction um, towards its destination. And no matter what you do, water finds a way. Amen? Have you figured that? Anyone ever had a leak in their house and water finds a way? Well, you, you and I are, are like this river and sometimes we're throwing junk in the river we can try to dam up the river we, we can try to, to stop the river but eventually that water is going to find a way around out it's going to flood whatever it takes to get towards its def, def, uh, destination and that's the picture that comes to my mind when I think of worship listen to what Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says this is Paul writing and this is important it says, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above, uh, excuse me, the name that is above every name. Verse 10, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a lot of every's in that statement, and that's not unintentional. God didn't miss that. It is not saying that everyone will be saved. That is not what that passage is saying. Everyone will not be saved. I think there's some intentionality in Paul's words that says on heaven, in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That under the earth is, is really those who are separated. It's that imagery there. It's a picture of worship, church. Was, because really what Scripture points us to is just like the water is going to find its destination, every human life will one day bow its knee before Jesus. Every human life. And, and that may come on this side of eternity in receiving that relationship with him. And it may come on the other side of eternity when the judge and the king exerts his power and its rule and all falsehood and all rebellion is made evident. And like a fallen enemy, knees bow before the king of kings. Every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will say, Yes, he was Lord. And church, that is worship. Now, we'll talk about the reality of that statement when we've missed it, and that comes at judgment. But instead, today, what I want to walk and talk through is what is worship? So that you and I understand every knee, every tongue that bows, that every tongue that confesses Jesus Christ, what is it? 
what what happens and how does worship begin if you were to look in your Bible in Matthew chapter 3, that's where we'll kind of turn for just a second. Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist is preaching a sermon. And as he's preaching this sermon, he says something pretty powerful. He says, repent. He says, repent, as he goes in there. So when he's out in the river, Jesus is about to come up, and John is calling everyone to Repent. It's that call to repentance that opens the door for worship to happen. Jesus comes into the scene. He is baptized, and all of a sudden, we see this ministry of Christ begin to flourish, begin to happen. Church, I want you to know, before we go any step further, that repentance in your life is necessary to be a worshiper. The the reality is, is that only those whose knees bow whose tongue confessed their need. Only those are those who worship. And so before we get into our sermon about worship, can I just ask you to bow with me for just a second? And here's what I want you to do. I I want you to say, see if there's anything in your heart that you've been throwing into the river, muddying up the water when it comes to you and Jesus Christ. And in this time, just say, Lord, let me pull it out. Let me turn my back on it. Father God, we don't want to begin talking about worship without realizing, Lord, that that there's junk in our life that keeps us from you. There's things in our way, there's things in our river, there's things in our lane that we have thrown there, Lord. We have embraced certain sins in our life, God. And Lord, right now, Father, so that we don't take a step any further, would you just allow us to lay that at your feet, to pull it out and put it down? Father, because we know the reality that every tongue will confess one day. But God, the reality is, as your child, I want a head start. I want to confess your word today and every day from now until forever. So Father God, as John said, Lord, let us repent. Let us turn our back on the things that have been getting in the way of us drawing near to you. Lord, and let us encounter you in a special way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. When we talk about worship, I want to point you to John chapter 4. It's a place where we don't see a lot of singing, and a lot of times we think singing and worship, and I want to pull you away from that because I think sometimes we can see worship as a feeling. Amen. If someone were to ask you, what is worship? What, that word feeling would kind of make its way into our conversation a whole lot. And, and I started to think about that because that was the first word that I started writing out. Is if someone were to say, Pastor, what is worship to you? And I, I might say, well, worship is this. And they say, how do you know when you do it? Well, I had this feeling. And we rely a whole lot on our feelings, don't we? And, listen, what, what happens when, when your feeling as a God-honoring believer is different than the God-honoring person next to you. Has this ever happened? You ever thought like, man, I, you went up to Omar and you waited in line and you said, Pastor Omar, man, worship was amazing today. I could feel it. And then the next person in line came up and said, Pastor Omar, the music was too loud. The songs were too new and I wasn't feeing it. Uh, what happened? What well, what, what happens if the, the sermon's the same way? Pastor David, man, your shirt was a distraction for me today. I couldn't feel it. 
in worship. Someone else, you look so great on camera. You can come for dinner. You can't. You following me? Like, like when worship is a feeling, it makes it really subjective. And I would tell you that we have made worship a feeling, but worship is not a feeling. And I'll use myself as the example so that you can think of your own. When Christy and I um, surrendered to First Baptist, we shared this with a few of you guys. Uh, we weren't certain about God's call in our life. We weren't exactly sure where he wanted us or what he wanted us to do. And we had met with the team here at First Baptist and with some of the most incredible people. We're, we're going on year number eight here. It's amazing to think about that. And, and we were kind of wrestling with, and we kind of put fleece on the ground and asked God to wet it, so to speak. So we're up in Dallas at a conference and we're sitting there, thousands of people in this room and the preacher's preaching. And let me tell you what preachers do when other preachers are talking, they're talking. So Christy and I are talking and we're talking about First Baptist and, and that kind of thing. And, and Christy, I just remember as we're talking through it, she said, I just don't feel a peace right now. And I'm like, no, I totally understand. And right then the, the preacher says, hold on a second. We're like, oh, anytime a preacher says, now it's time to listen. Because he just had an interrupting thought in his mind is what that means. He says, you know what drives me nuts? That we think we need to feel something to follow God. He's like, do you think that Moses was like, God, I'm feeling it. Let's go after Pharaoh. <laughs> do you think Daniel was like, throw me in the lion's den. I'm feeling it. Man, do you think Jesus was like, hit me again, I'm feeling it. And literally, we start laughing like junior high kids in church knowing we're about to get in trouble. You remember that feeling? Like the more you laugh, the more you make the other one laugh, and the more they laugh, the other one laugh. Do you know when you're in a preacher's conference and hysterical laughter breaks out between you and your wife in the presence of thousands of people, they look at you like you are not going to heaven. And literally, we have to excuse ourselves because we can't stop laughing. Because when we removed our feeling out of the way and we just focused on what God wanted, He made it evident, clear, and easy. Church, at 45 years old, already now, that was pastoring for 15 years or so before that. That was the first time God challenged my world and said, following me authentically is not about how you feel. Man, so what is worship? If it's, a, if I, it's not a feeling. Let's go to John chapter four and, and let's talk about what it is and what it isn't. Just using the words of Christ in his conversation with this young woman he meets at the well. Because I want you to be able to worship when you're feeling it and when you're not feeling it. The Bible says this, verse 1, chapter 4, we'll go through verse 10. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, and near a field of ja that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So I just want to pause. I want to let such a scene for a moment. Um, Jesus has kind of pulled away. There's a lot going on in his world. He's pulled away here, um, and they're, they're making their journey, and they're cutting through Samaria, which most of the time, although that's the quickest route, was not the, the best route because the Jews and Samaritans weren't getting along, right? It's just not finding their way together. The Jews felt like Samaritans were unclean in a thousand and one ways, and the Samaritans thought the Jews were snobs and bullies and ugly, and it just wasn't clicking. And so you normally went way around Samaria, but Jesus leads his disciples through Samaria. And, and in this time, about noon, right, they go and, and the disciples have gone off to do a few things. Jesus sits down by this well. And a well, we, we don't understand water scarcity so much in America because we have amazing water systems in our country. But in, in Israel, in, in this region, the, the scarcity of water is legitimate. And so wells are important places of life. They are literally the water cooler of everybody's day. But at noon is when nobody wants to go because it's smoking hot at noon. And you don't want to go walk out to the well, put weights on your shoulders, and walk back into town. That's working out at the wrong time of day. Amen? And so nobody does this because of the heat. So they're in a strange town at a weird time by the well. And this is where Jesus gives us a lesson on worship. Let's go a little bit further, verse 7 through 10. The Bible says this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew are asking me for a drink, a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, now this is amazing, Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This scenario starts off so amazing because it doesn't make sense. See, this woman comes up and she goes to the well. She, she, she sees a Jew expecting that they just passed dirty looks and she goes on her day. But here, something has caused Jesus to ask her for a drink of water. Now, this is both offensive and confusing. And here's why. Number one, if you ever go to Israel and you go on the Temple Mount, for instance, if you're a married man, you don't touch your wife. You don't take pictures with your arm around them. There's no holding hands up there. That, that's it. In, in Jewish culture, in Christ's day, you didn't talk as a man to another woman in public. And many times, you didn't talk to your wife in public. Like, there's a pretty big social barrier up right here. Just men and women not communicating in public. And I see some of you ladies nodding your head saying, wish we could go back to it. We're not there right that, that that's a huge barrier but then you've got the samaritan and the jewish barrier over here and jesus she just walks up and he says could you give me something to drink i i am telling you she's having two thoughts one is offense but two is confusion and the confusion would come from this where does this freedom come from 
we might say it in Texas like you have the audacity to talk to me see like it or not Jesus broke rules and he risked more than she did to speak to her in public she says to him where do you a Jew how do you speak to me how do you talk to me where does this freedom come from and then Jesus says something that he'll repeat throughout this if you only knew if you knew the gift of God then you would have been talking to me if you knew the gift of God you'd have been asking me for something better than what you came out to do if you knew church when it comes to worship here's what I want you to know in this lesson on worship you and I cannot worship a God that you do not know it just can't happen if you only knew Jesus is not just reprimanding her he's stoking the fire he wants her to understand it that there's more to life than what you're looking at there's more to life than what you're talking about when you and I come to work turn to church and get all of the feels if you don't worship Jesus if you don't know the one that you worship the Lord may be reaching out to you but you are not worshiping him because you cannot worship someone you don't know. That would be the same thing about saying that you're married to a person that you've only met in your mind. Y'all, that's imagination. That's not marriage. So when we think about worship, not only does repentance get us ready, but hear this, you can only worship what you know. Anytime scripture would say that we worship or someone worships God and that God is foreign to Jesus Christ, then they are not worshiping as scripture would affirm and confirm. Because you can't worship what you don't know. Jesus starts the conversation out and then it gets good, 11 through 14. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well, he drank from it himself as he did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. I, with the water that I will give, excuse me, the water that I will give him will become in him the spring of water welling up to eternal life. I love that she asked the question that she doesn't know she's asking. If you were to look in the Greek here, the tone is absolutely negative sarcasm literally here Jesus has had the audacity the freedom to say you don't know what you're talking about when it comes to history or, or whatnot but but now he's saying listen I have something to give to you she says you don't have anything to draw with like the reality is I know the answer to the question that I'm going to ask how are you going to get living water when you have nothing in your hands and then with a the condescending tone, she uses the biggest name she could use. Are you greater than Jacob? You see, she's, she's talking about worship now. She gets this. This is a big deal. Jews and Samaritans, they have a commonality, a common ancestor in Jacob. 
Abraham, Isaac, Isaac's son, Jacob. This is their point of agreement. Jacob became Israel. Jacob is, is the one that God blessed in, in ways that he expanded his family. We see the tribes of it. This is a big name drop. And so if you are to say that you are greater than Jacob, then you're fooling yourself. That's what she's saying. So she asked the question, will this man dare say it? Are you greater than Jacob who dug this well? What she's saying is, what do you mean I don't know what I'm talking about? Tell me what I don't know because here's what I do know. So Jesus, very quickly, he just says, everyone who drinks will be thirsty. But whoever drinks the water I give won't thirst again. And the water I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Church, what Jesus says is this. You and I, when we worship, you are darn right. We should only worship the greatest one. You know, she's challenging greatness right now. Jacob's the big name. Can you be better? And here's what Jesus says. He says, when we worship and we're talking about gods, when we're, when we're dropping names, you should only ever drop one. Church, when you worship, it should only be about one person, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Is God who created the world and put the water in it greater than Jacob who had some friends dig a hole? Of course he is. Of course he is. Because God put the water there. Jacob just dug where God told him to dig. When you think about worshiping the Lord, is there something more to you than common ancestry, common tradition? My parents were Baptist, I'm a Baptist, my children are Baptist, so forever we'll be Baptist. My family was Catholic, my children are Catholic, forever I'll be a Catholic. When we point to tradition as our source of knowledge and our foundation for worship, what Jesus says is, you're exactly right, you don't know what you're talking about. Because worship is not about tradition. It's about the creator king of glory and his plan, his word and his direction. Church, you and I should not waste our energy worshiping anything or anyone that is not the greatest. So was Jacob a good man? Absolutely. That doesn't make him worthy of worship. Church, we can fall into a trap pretty hard right here because we, we love our knowledge. We love where it sits in our mind. And so we can think, man, I just wanna be one day, fill in the blank, my small group leader. One day, I just wish I could be like this kind of person. I just wanna do everything. I just wanna be like them. What, what Paul says is, if you're gonna imitate me, you only do it because I'm imitating God. So at the end of the day, you just imitate God. When you're worshiping, is it about proving to God what you know or is it about pouring out yourself to a God you want to know more and more and more? When Christy and I first started serving in ministry together, we were new. Um, I, we have a room in our house that has a piano. If you came in, you could steal the TV, you could steal the breakfast table, you could steal a lot of things as long as the piano is in the house. 
because I love that my house is filled with music. God has blessed me to be surrounded by people who understand and know music and I and the benefit of that and you are welcome to come over anytime you want to from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., right? But listen, our first church we were at, Christy was a music major and worship was led from the drums. The drums were center stage and that was where it was, was gone. There were some tough days in church. There were some tough times that didn't fit right. I remember when Christy joined the, the, the band and, and she said, great, can I have some music? She, woman's played mu music her whole life and, and he just looked at her and said, we don't use music. She's like, are you kidding me? How can you do this? Through that journey, and, and to be honest, I don't know that we'll ever have drums leading worship here, sorry, John, from the center stage. But God did something amazing that changed my life as he showed it to her. Worship is not a music appreciation class. Worship is not about me deciding how someone else is doing and how much I appreciate it. Because if worship is about music appreciation, who are we saying worship is about? Me. Isn't that horrible? When, when we go in, and pastors are the worst, when we go in and we critique a sermon, when we go in and we do these things, not about content, content has to be true, but when we put the feels into it, what we do is we stop saying, I'm focusing on the one who is greatest, and I'm, I'm talking about how you could do better at helping me focus in the way that I like on the thing I want to focus on at this moment, which is God. Do you see how that's not worshiping the greatest? In fact, what that does is it leads in, if you don't worship the one who is greatest, you will most likely end up worshiping yourself. How do I know? Look at the conversation, verse 15. The Bible says this as they keep going on. She says this, the woman says to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or I will have to come here to draw water. Do you hear it? Do you hear what she is saying? I, I, I see you're talking about bigger and better things. So give it to me so that I can make my life how I want to and I don't have to do the things I don't want to do. Church, if we are not making worship about the greatest one, we are making worship about ourselves. If we're not making worship about the greatest one, all we're saying is give me so that I, or so I won't. When we gather to worship, church, what is the intention of our heart? What's the motive? Is it Jesus? We sang that song just a minute ago. Or is it Jesus on my terms? Because worshiping Jesus on my terms is worshiping yourself with Jesus' temporary tattoos all over. So when she crosses this line, when, when she does it, Jesus says, let me show you your sin now. Let me show you your distraction now. Let me show you how you've got worship wrong. Verse 16, I'm not talking about, not even using the word worship yet. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Ha, I can imagine and Jesus said, you're, you're right 
in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Here's what Jesus says. God is not going to make worship all about you because your track, your track record of being in charge, it stinks. Have you ever felt the sting of that truth? Like, God, I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to make it right. I'm trying to do all of these things. If you, God, would just help me help you help me, then I could help you. But, but, but Jesus makes it very clear. If you don't worship the greatest one and you choose to make worship about yourself, I'm not going there because your track record stinks and his is perfect. Church, I think a lot of times we wonder why the river in our relationship with God is so cluttered and so muddied and we just get mad that there's junk in the river. And then we turn around and look at the junk in our life and we just throw it in the river. And then we turn around and get mad that the river's junked up. What Jesus says is, listen, worship can't be about you because you're not worthy of worship. And I almost hear his spirit say, right? When we, when we break down all of our preconceived notions, when we break down all of our, this is worship, this isn't worship, when we break it all down and just say, it's either all about the Lord or it's about me, and one of these is not authentic worship, and God will not go there with me. In that moment, we become able to talk about worship. And that's why worship begins with repentance. That's why worship begins with this preparation. Lord, have your way in me. Lord, this day when I wake up, there's already junk in the river. Lord, help me pull it out. Turn away from it, God, because I want this day to be about worship. I want this time to be about worship. Worship can happen in this place and does happen in this place. But worship is not about a location. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Verse 19, the woman says to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Like, I get it, you're smart. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where you're where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We've been talking about this. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And church, Jesus starts off by saying, listen, you want to make a talk about which place is more blessed, which mountain is more blessed. I'm not going to play that game because worship is not about where. Worship is not about what you find yourself, what you've put on that day. But worship happens when God's people believe in, you have to know the one you worship. 
when they lift up their life to him in spirit and in truth. So let me talk, let's talk about worship for just a minute. One, what does it mean to worship God in spirit? The picture here is it's of your inner being. I would, go, I would go back to, to, to scripture and, and walk through the different ways that we know it's what the inside that matters. I love when Jesus is talking about defiling yourself. And he says, it's not what you put in because that just comes back out eventually. But your heart, that can defile the whole body. Church, when we talk about worshiping God in spirit, the question is, is your inner being the core of who you are, does it know who the real God of the universe is? And does it know that you are here to exalt him and him alone at every corner? And that is your intention. To worship in spirit and in truth, the in truth would be on the outside. Does your outside actions align and match up with your inside inner being? Because in order to worship, they must. <clears throat> the word here um, could be sent, said sincere, right? With that truth, sincere and genuine. And I was kind of reading through that. And, and in, in, in Greek, when we look at the word sincere, that, that it comes from two words. That means one, sin, without, and then Sarah is wax. It means without wax. And, and here's how it would happen. When you would make a clay jar... If it were to crack while you're making it, they would put wax in the cracks and glue it back together. And they'd sell it at a discount, right? And here's the deal. For a time, that jar would hold up. But until you put too much hot in it or until it's set outside too long, what happens with wax and hot? Melting. So if a pot didn't have that stamp on it without wax then you knew what you were buying would eventually fall apart what jesus says is this when you worship your inside and your outside have to match and they can't just match for sunday morning they can't just match for your bethmore devotional before you start the day they can't just match when you need me in this moment and when the moment of crisis is over, you'll be good again. God is seeking people to worship him without wax. So the inside and the outside are one and not being held together by a temporary substance. Those are the people the Lord is seeking to worship. Church, this morning, the question comes to us is not what or how to worship. It's will we worship? The woman says to him, Jesus, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Somewhere along the way, something's melting in this woman. Her tone has changed. Her flaws and wax are showing. Jesus has torn down these walls of self 
that have gotten in the way of worship in her life. And so she says, Lord, Jesus, one day I know the Messiah is coming and he'll tell us what's real. And Jesus makes a confession that you and I must hear. He looks at this woman in the eye, I believe it with all that I am, and he speaks these words. I who speak to you am he. See, church, God sent Jesus Christ to reveal a truth that you and I cannot design, obtain, or create on our own. Jesus isn't disappointed with this woman in her tone or her questionings. I don't believe it. I believe he's smiling under his, his breath, almost like when a child keeps asking you questions and you know where you're going and they don't know where you're going yet. And when she says one day the Messiah will come and he'll make it clear what God wants, he says, listen, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're hoping for. Church, this morning... How do you worship the Lord? It begins with knowing the one worthy of your worship, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who made a way that you and I might know the Father and delight in Him forever. What happens when your heart hears those words? It's not about you, and it's not about 500 other ways that people have shown you but it's about Jesus. Let me tell you what happened in the woman's life in verse 29. She ran back to town and she said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the one? Could he be the one? Church, he is the one. So this morning, as we think of worship, it's really not about music, styles, dress, translations. It's not about buildings. It's about Jesus. Unstained, unchanged, undeniably undistractable Jesus. Came to tell you everything you've ever done and bless you with everything he has in store. And in this moment, church, he is making sure that one day in eternity when your knee bows, you will not have an excuse, but you will say, I know on that day the truth was shared. The one I speak of is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we bring everything to the table. Father God, we bring our preconceived notions, we bring our ideas, we bring our past. And what you say is drop it at the door. I don't care about who you've been, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I just care about who you will be in me. Lord, you are seeking worshipers like that who will drop it all, put down the wax, stop trying to piece our life and you together and make it fit and abandon it all 
so that we might be yours. God, as we worship you in this place, in this day, God, in the weeks ahead, as we go to work, Lord, as we go to our homes, let us be worshipers from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen.